Section 12 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 12, Chapter 10. France, Present Regulations. It remains to describe the state and system of prostitution at Paris at the present day. The vast importance of the subject will doubtless justify the length at which it must be treated. It was usual, during the last century, to estimate the number of prostitutes in Paris at twenty-five or thirty thousand. Even as late as 1810, the number was said by good authority to be not less than eighteen thousand. The police rolls show that these calculations were wide of the mark. According to them, the average number of prostitutes inscribed had risen from about 1900 in 1814 to 3,558 in 1832, the last year of which we have any record. Assuming that the number at present is 4,500, or thereabouts, which would suppose an increase equal to that noted before 1832, the prostitutes are one to every 250 of the total population. Of these, the city of Paris furnishes rather more than one-third. The remainder come from the departments, those bordering on Paris being the most fruitful of prostitutes, and the north being largely in excess of production over the south. The vast majority of these prostitutes are the children of operatives and mechanics. Of 828 fathers, there were 19 weavers, 12 peddlers, 28 masons and tilers, 11 water carriers, 35 stage and carriage drivers, 50 shoemakers, 31 farmers and gardeners, 23 servants, 18 individuals employed in foundries, etc., 113 day laborers, 31 carpenters, 22 liquor sellers, 23 smiths, 18 grocers and fruit sellers, 30 soldiers on pensions, 16 clockmakers and jewelers, 16 barbers and hairdressers, 64 persons without trade or calling, 22 tailors, 21 plasterers, pavers, etc., 11 coopers, 25 painters, glaziers, and printers, whereas there were only 4 surgeons, physicians, and lawyers, 3 teachers, and 9 musicians. The inference drawn by M. Perrin du Châtelet from this, that brothels are supplied from the classes of domestics and factory girls, and that girls not bred to work rarely find their way into them. Rather more than one-third of the fathers of these prostitutes were unable to sign their names. Of the prostitutes born at Paris, about one-fourth were illegitimate. Of those born in the departments, one-eighth were illegitimate. Rather more than one-half the Paris prostitutes could not write their names, a degree of ignorance which argues very remarkable neglect on the part of parents. For at Paris, everyone must learn to write gratuitously, and a person who cannot write will always experience difficulty in obtaining employment. Nearly half the prostitutes were between the ages of twenty and twenty-six inclusive. One declared herself, or was proved to be, only twelve years old. Thirty-four were over fifty, two were over sixty. On reference to the rules of inscription, it appeared that the bulk of the prostitutes registered themselves between the ages of eighteen and twenty-two. But thirty-four were inscribed before the age of fourteen, which may be assumed to be the period of puberty in France, and a few after passing fifty. The following table shows the number of years during which the Paris prostitutes had exercised their calling at the time the inquiry was made. 439, at one year and under. 590, from one to two years. 440, from two to three years. 485, from three to four years. 
294 from 4 to 5 years, 139 from 5 to 6 years, 150 from 6 to 7 years, 143 from 7 to 8 years, 96 from 8 to 9 years, 100 from 9 to 10 years, 109 from 10 to 11 years, 93 from 11 to 12 years, 99 from 12 to 13 years, 98 from 13 to 14 years, 107 from 14 to 15 years, 80 from 15 to 16 years, 19 from 16 to 17 years, 14 from 17 to 18 years, 17 from 18 to 19 years, 4 from 19 to 20 years, none from 20 to 21 years, 1 from 21 to 22 years, and none from 22 to 23 years. M. Du Châtelet made careful inquiries into the causes of prostitution. He admits that, the difficulty of obtaining trustworthy information on this head being very great, many errors may have found their way into his calculations. He gives them, however, for what they may be worth. For 1,441, the cause is want. For 1,255, expulsion from home or desertation of parents. For 37, the desire to support old and infirm parents. For 29, the desire to support younger brothers and sisters or nephews and nieces. For 23, widows with families to support. For 280, girls from the country to support themselves. For 404, girls from the country brought to Paris by soldiers, clerks, students, etc. For 289, servants seduced by masters and abandoned. For 1,425, concubines abandoned by their lovers. This leads to a total of 5,183. It appears that there were in Paris, in 1832, 220 tolerated houses, that is to say brothels. The rules regarding these are numerous. They cannot be established in certain localities, such as the boulevards, or other great thoroughfares. They must not be within 100 yards of a church, or within 50 or 60 yards of a school, whether for boys or girls, of a palace or other public building, or of a large boarding house. The proprietor of the house must have given his consent before the house can be used as a brothel. Two houses cannot be established side by side, much less can they have the same entry. As a general rule, a preference is given to small, narrow streets, especially cul-de-sac, and to places where brothels have been established before. With regard to the interior of these houses, they must contain a room for each girl. On no account are two prostitutes allowed to occupy the same room, much less the same bed. Each room must, moreover, be amply provided with utensils, soap, and water for ablution. No house can have back or side doors, or in any way communicate with the adjoining buildings. No house can contain dark closets or dark passages or concealed hiding places. In none of them can any trade or traffic be carried on. With regard to the class of houses called Maison de Passe, the police authorities require that in every house two regular prostitutes inscribed on the police rolls shall live permanently. The object of this rule is to obtain a control and supervision over these houses. Before it was adopted, the police was often embarrassed by denials of its authority to invade them. It is found that the prostitutes, being naturally hostile to the mistresses of the house, 
will act as agents of the police in the event of any scandalous proceedings. The windows of the houses of prostitution must be roughed, as also must be of the rooms where the individual prostitutes live. They can only be partially opened. These regulations were made in consequence of the shocking scenes that were witnessed at the windows of brothels after the revolution, naked women being the least of the scandals that used to be exposed. No one can keep a house of prostitution in Paris without an authorization from the police. Men are never permitted to keep establishments of the kind. A woman who desires to open a house must apply in writing to the prefect of police. On receipt of her application, references made to the commissary of police of the ward to ascertain her character. If she has been condemned for crime or misdemeanor, her request is rarely granted. If she stands in the police books as a woman requiring supervision, she cannot succeed. Nor can she obtain a license, under ordinary circumstances, unless she has been a prostitute herself. The reason of this regulation is obvious. No one but a prostitute understands the business thoroughly, and the position of brothel-keeper is found to be the most demoralizing station in the world. It has been the policy of Paris police to throw impediments in the way of persons not wholly depraved devoting themselves to so dangerous a calling. Furthermore, the applicant must have reached a certain age. She must also be of sober habits, and apparently possessed of sufficient force of character to be able to command a house full of prostitutes. She must possess a sum of money sufficient to guarantee her against immediate failure, and she must own the furniture in the house she wishes to keep. When all of these conditions are fulfilled, the applicant receives a passbook, in which the number of girls she is allowed to keep is specified. In this book, she is bound to enter the name of every prostitute she receives, whether as a boarder or a transient larger, her name, the date of her entry into the house, the date of her inspection by a physician, and the date of her departure from the house. A printed form in the beginning of the passbook reminds the mistress of the house that she is bound, under heavy penalties, to inscribe on the police rolls every girl she receives within twenty-four hours of her arrival. In the event of neglect of these rules by the keepers of houses of prostitution, the license is revoked. It is understood that the police enforce this regulation with due rigor. Much has been said and written about the manner in which keepers of houses of prostitution obtain recruits. M. Perrin du Châtelet, whose sources of information were the best, gives it as his opinion that most of the prostitutes are obtained from hospitals, especially the Hospital du Midi, where female venereal diseases are treated. It appears that this hospital and others are haunted by old women who have been prostitutes, and who, in their old age, eke out a living by enticing others into the same calling. They soon discover the disposition of every young girl they find in the hospitals, and if she be pretty or engaging, she must either have principal or careful friends to rescue her from the clutches of the old hags. While she lies ill on her bed of pain, the latter are constantly with her, and gain her friendship. They know the devices that are needed to impose on her simplicity, and not unfrequently are enabled to strengthen the promises by small donations and money, or a weekly stipend during her convalescence. For a pretty girl, as much as fifty francs will be paid by a brothel-keeper. As the girls in France, with few exceptions, come to Paris to be cured when they have contracted disease from association with lovers, it is quite likely that, as M. Perrin du Châtelet supposes, these hospitals are a fruitful source of prostitutes. Other brothel-keepers have female agents in the country towns who send them girls. One well-known woman, who kept for many years one of her largest establishments in France, employed a traveling clerk with a large salary. Some obtain boarders from their own province or native city. Others, who have followed a trade, get recruits from the acquaintances they made at the workshop. Laterally, it would seem, pimps have carried on their trade with unusual boldness and success. 
Sometime since it was noticed that an uncommon number of girls arrived at Paris from Rheims, they all came provided with name and address of the house to which they were destined, and drove there from the stage office. Information was sent to the police authorities of Rheims, and on their arrival, the girls were sent back again. The design of the authorities was baffled for a while by the cunning of the pimps, who sent their recruits round by other roads, but the police finally triumphed by refusing, for a year or two, to inscribe any prostitutes from Rheims. It is notorious, however, that the same traffic is carried on at the present day to an alarming extent between London and Paris, London and Brussels, and other large cities in the neighborhood. Several societies have been formed, and the police have made great exertions to suppress the trade, but without any particular success. It is understood that the prostitutes of Paris receive nothing for their labors, but their board, lodging, and dress. The latter is often expensive. In first-class houses it will exceed five hundred francs, which in female attire will go as far at Paris as five hundred dollars will in New York. The whole of the fees exacted from visitors goes to the mistress, and the girls are reluctantly permitted to retain the presents they sometimes receive from their lovers. They are usually in debt to the mistress, who, having no other means of retaining them under her control, hastens to advance the money for jewelry, carriages, fine eating, and expensive wines. No written contract binds them to remain where they are. They may leave when they please, if they can pay their debts, and the obligation they incur for the latter is one of honor only, and cannot be enforced in the courts. Houses of prostitution, when well conducted, are very profitable in Paris. It is estimated that the net profits accruing from each girl ought to be ten francs or more per day. Many keepers of houses have retired with ten to twenty-five thousand francs a year, and married their daughters well. The goodwill of a popular house has been sold for sixty thousand francs, twelve thousand dollars. We now come to the great feature of the Paris system, the inscription of prostitutes in a department of the prefecture of police, called the Bureau des Morts. It seems that some sort of inscription was in use before the Revolution, but no law referring to it or records of the rules can be found. Various systems were employed during the Republic and the Empire. The one now in use was adopted in 1816 and amended by a police regulation of 1828. Prostitutes are inscribed either 1. on their own request, 2. on the requisition of the mistress of the house, or 3. on the report of the inspector of prostitutes. When a girl appears in front of the bureau for any of these circumstances, she is asked the following questions, the answers being taken down in writing. 1. Her name, age, birthplace, trade, and residence. 2. Whether she is a widow, wife, or spinster. 3. Whether her father and mother are living, and what their calling was or is. 4. Whether she lives with them, and if not, when and how she left them. 5. Whether she has had children, and where they are. 6. How long has she been in Paris? 7. Whether anyone has a right to claim her. 8. Whether she has ever been arrested, and if yes, how often, and for what offenses. 9. Whether she has ever been a prostitute before, and for what period of time. 10. Whether she has, or has had, venereal disease. 11. Whether she has received any education. 12 what her motive is in inscribing herself. The answers to these inquiries suggest others, which are put at the discretion of the officials. Their practice is so great that they are rarely deceived by the women. M. Perrin du Châtelet affirms that they could tell an old prostitute merely by the way she sat down. The interrogatory over, the girl is taken by an inspector to the dispensary and examined, and the physician on duty reports the result, which is added to the inquiry. 
Meanwhile, the police registers have been consulted, and if the girl has been an old offender, or is known to the police, she is now identified. If the girl has her baptismal certificate, extrait de naissance, with her, she is forthwith inscribed and registered among the public women of Paris. As prostitutes rarely possess this document, however, a provisional inscription is usually effected, and a direct application is made to the mayor of the city, or commune, where she was born for the certificate. This application varies according to the age of the girl. If she is of age, it simply is a demand for the extrait de naissance of blank, who says she is a native of your city or commune. If, on the contrary, she is a minor, the application states that a girl who calls herself blank and says she was born at blank has applied for inscription in this office. I desire you to ascertain the position of her family and what means they propose to take in case they desire to secure the return of this young girl. It often happens that the family implore the intervention of the police. In that case, the girl is sent back to the place whence she came. In many cases, the family decline to interfere, and then the girl is duly inscribed on the register. She signs a document in which she states that, being duly acquainted with the sanitary regulations established by the Prefecture for Public Women, she declares that she will submit to them, will allow herself to be visited periodically by the physicians of the dispensary, and will conform in all respects to the rules in force. Of course, this procedure is occasionally delayed by falsehoods uttered by the woman. It often used to happen when the mayors would report that no person of the name given had been born at the time fixed in their city or commune. In that case, the girl was recalled and made to understand that truth was better policy than falsehood. Girls rarely held out for longer than a fortnight or so, and, at the present time, the number of false declarations is very small indeed. They seem satisfied that the police are an omniscient machine which cannot be deceived. When the girl is brought to the office, either by a brothel keeper or an inspector, the proceeding is slightly varied. In the latter case, she has been arrested for indulging in clandestine prostitution, but she almost invariably denies the fact and pleads her innocence. The rule, in this case, is to admonish her and let her go. It is not till the third or fourth offense has been committed that she is inscribed. When the mistress of a house brings a girl to the office, interrogatories similar to the above are put to her. If she has relations or friends at Paris, they are sent for and consulted. When the girl appears evidently lost, she is duly inscribed. But if she shows any signs of shame or contrition, she is often sent home by the office at the public expense. It need hardly be said that when a girl is found diseased, she is sent to the hospital and her inscription held over. It occasionally happens that virgins present themselves at the office and desire to be inscribed. In their case, the officials use compulsion to rescue them from infamy. In a word, the Paris system, with regard to inscriptions, is to inscribe no girl with regard to whom it is not manifest that she will carry on the calling of a prostitute, whether she be inscribed or not. From the following table, prepared by M. Perrin du Châtelet, from the records of a series of years, it appears that the mistresses of houses inscribe over one-third of the total prostitutes. 7,388 girls were inscribed at their own request. 4,436 girls were inscribed by mistresses of houses. 720 girls were inscribed by inspectors, for a total of 12,544 girls. The age at which girls can be inscribed has varied under different administrators. Under one, it was 17. Under his successor, 18. Under the next, 21 years. But now the general rule is that no girl should be inscribed under the age of 16. Exceptions to this rule are made in the case of younger girls, of 13, 14, or 15, who lead a life of prostitution and are frequently attacked by disease. From a regard to public health, they are inscribed notwithstanding their age.
Only second in importance of the subject of inscription is that of radiation, the obliteration of an inscription. This is the process by which a prostitute takes leave of her calling, throws off the control of the police, and regains her civil rights. At Rome, as has been shown already, no such formality as radiation was known to the law. Once a prostitute, always a prostitute, was the Roman rule. This system did not long sustain the test of a Christian examination. The police of the French Bureau des Morts on this head is governed by two very simple maxims. First, the amendment of prostitutes ought to be encouraged as much as possible. Second, but no prostitute should be released from the supervision of the police and the visits of the dispensary physician until there is a reasonable ground for believing that her repentance and alteration of life are sincere and likely to be permanent. A person desiring to have her name struck from the rolls of public women must make a written application, specifying her reasons for desiring to change her mode of life and indicating the means of support on which she is henceforth to rely. In three cases, the demand is granted forthwith. First, when the girl proves that she is about to marry. Second, when she produces the certificate of a physician that she is attacked by an organic disease which renders it impossible for her to continue the calling of prostitute. And third, when she has gone to live with her relations and produces evidence of her late good behavior. In all other cases, the office awards a provisional radiation. For a period of time, which varies according to circumstance, from three months to a year, the girl is still under the supervision of the police, such supervision being obviously secret and discreet. When the girl passes triumphantly through this period of probation, her name is definitely struck from the role of prostitutes. When a girl, after having her name struck out, desires to be inscribed afresh, her request is granted without delay or inquiry, it being wisely supposed that she has repented on her decisions. A reinscription also takes place when a girl, after radiation, is found in a house of prostitution, even as a servant. A prostitute is struck from the rules by authority of the office when she has disappeared and no trace of her has been found for three months. M. Perrin du Châtelet gives the following table of radiations, which, taken in connection with the table already given of the number of prostitutes registered, shows a movement of reform. In 1817, 485 women were struck off the rolls of prostitutes at their own request, 575 were struck off the rolls of prostitutes in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,060. In 1818, 477 were struck at their own request, 582 in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,059. In 1819, 469 were struck at their own requests, 571 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,040. In 1820, 415 were struck at their own request, 716 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,131. In 1821, 433 were struck at their own request, 733 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,166. In 1822, 417 were struck at their own request, 739 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,156. In 1823, 502 were struck at their own request, and 605 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,107. In 1824, 442 were struck at their own request, 602 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,044. In 1825, 
456 were struck at their own request, 527 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 983. In 1826, 486 were struck at their own request, and 554 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,040. In 1827, 490 were struck at their own request, 542 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,032. In the year 1828, 572 were struck at their own request, 415 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 987. In 1829, 298 were struck at their own request, and 536 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 834. In 1830, 334 were struck at their own request, 502 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 836. In 1831, 284 were struck at their own request, 452 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 736. In 1832, 449 were struck at their own request, 718 were struck in consequence of absence, for a total of 1,167. In total, this means that 7,009 women were struck off the rolls of prostitutes at their own request, and 9,369 women were struck off the rules of prostitutes in consequence of absence, for a total of 16,378 women struck off the rules of prostitutes. Once inscribed, prostitutes are divided into three classes. First, those who lived in a licensed or tolerated brothel. Second, those who lived alone in furnished rooms. And third, those who lived in rooms which they furnish and outwardly bear no mark of infamy. In the eye of the law, there is no difference between the three classes. All are equally subject to police and medical supervision. Every girl that is inscribed receives a card bearing her name and the number of her page in the register. A blank column of this card is left to be filled out by a memorandum of date of each visit by the physicians of the dispensary. But the three classes differ in respect of the place where they are visited. The dispensary physicians visit the inmates of brothels in the houses where they live. All other prostitutes visit them at the dispensary. Yet another visit is made by the dispensary physicians to the depot, or lockup, at the prefecture of police, as there are always a certain number of prostitutes arrested for drunkenness or disorderly conduct every night. It was thought well to seize the opportunity of their confinement to inquire into their state of health. All houses of prostitution are visited by the dispensary physicians once a week. The hour of the visit is known beforehand, and every girl must be present and pass inspection. The examination is private, the result is noted in a folio kept by the physician, and a corresponding memorandum is made in the passbook of the house, and on the card of the prostitute. When disease is detected, the mistress of the house is notified, and cautioned not to allow the girl diseased to receive any visitors. That afternoon, or the next morning, she comes, or is brought to the dispensary, where she undergoes a second examination, and, if the result is the same as the first, she is forthwith sent to Saint-Lazare for treatment. Free prostitutes, that is to say, those who live in lodgings or rooms furnished by themselves, are bound to visit this dispensary and submit to examination once a fortnight. They choose the time and day themselves, but more than a fortnight must not elapse between the visits. It appears, from the tables published by M. Perrin du Châtelet, that these rules are strictly enforced. Free prostitutes are visited nearly thirty times a year, and prostitutes in tolerated houses more than fifty times. We have alluded elsewhere to the results of the visits. Experience has proved that the only safe method of punishment for prostitutes is imprisonment. Formerly they were whipped, 
and at a later date their hair was cut off. But the humane spirit of modern legislation has rejected both of these punishments as unduly cruel. At the present day, offenses against the rules concerning prostitution, are punished by imprisonment, misdemeanors and crimes provided against by the code being within the cognizance of ordinary courts in the case of prostitutes as well as other persons. Zenith's prostitution have been divided by the Bureau des Morts in two classes, slight offenses and grave offenses. Slight offenses are 1. To appear in forbidden places. 2. To appear at forbidden hours. 3. To get drunk and lie down in doorways, streets, or other thoroughfares. 4. To demand admittance to guardhouses. 5. To walk through the streets in daylight in such a way as to attract the notice of people passing. 6. To rap on the windows of their rooms. 7. To absent themselves from the medical inspection. 8. To beg. 9. To remain more than 24 hours in their house after being pronounced diseased by the physician. 10. To escape from the hospital or dispensary. 11. To go out of doors with bare head or neck. 12. To remain in Paris after having been ordered to leave and presented with a passport. This class of offenses is punished by imprisonment for not less than a fortnight or more than three months. One month is the usual term. A prostitute is held to be guilty of grave offenses when she 1. Insults outrageously the visiting physician. 2. Fails to visit the dispensary. 3. Continues to prostitute herself after being pronounced diseased. 4. Uses obscene language in public. 5. Appears naked in her window. 6. Assails men with violence and endeavors to drag them to her home. These offenses are punished by imprisonment for not less than three months and not more than a year, rarely more than six months. The time is fixed in these cases with reference to the former character of the prostitute. When a prostitute is arrested, she is taken to the prefecture of the police, where there is a room specially appropriated to her class. She is tried within 48, usually within 24 hours of her arrival. When condemned, she is conveyed in a closed carriage or van to the prison. The prison at Paris usually contains from 450 to 600 inmates. They are all obliged to work. A few are generally found incapable, either from idiocy, blindness, or incorrigible obstinacy, of performing even the simplest work. These are lodged in a department called the Ward of Imbeciles. The others are allowed to choose their work. The bulk naturally take to sewing. They are paid a small sum for what they do, partly as they proceed with the work, and the balance when they leave the prison. Industrious girls receive, from the money coming to them, from five to eight sous daily. That this, added to the ample food supplied by the prison, suffices for their wants, is proved by the frequent purchases they make of flowers and other superfluities. Formerly, prostitutes in prison were not expected to work, and at this period fights and disturbances were of constant occurrence. Now the discipline is excellent and the prisoners orderly. The only penalty for disobedience of rules or misconduct is close confinement in the cachotte. M. Perrin du Châtelet admits that the prison discipline is so gentle that the punishment has no terrors for prostitutes. It is quite common to find girls who have been there thirty times condemned to imprisonment. He recommends the use of the treadmill as a corrective. His experience led him to question the utility of nuns and priests in the prostitute's prison. He does not think they do any good, and inclines to the belief that the counsels and visits of married women, who look rather to the moral than religious reform of the women, would be productive of more benefit. The old practice in France was to admit visitors to the prostitute's prison at certain hours and in a certain room, 
for this was found to be productive of great evils. The scenes in the visitor's room were outrageous, and a new system was accordingly adopted. No one was allowed to visit a prostitute but a bona fide relation, and even such a one was required to obtain a written permit from the prefecture of police. A certain number of prostitutes are sent every year to the prison of Saint-Denis. These are those who, from physical or mental infirmities, such as rectovaginal fistula, cancer, incurable organic disease, idiocy, etc., are incapacitated from pursuing their calling, and run risk of starvation. Not more than eight or ten of these are sent to Saint-Denis in the course of a year. The mortality among them there is not less than 25% per annum. Until a few years ago, a tax was levied on the Paris prostitutes for the support of the dispensary. Each mistress of a house paid 12 francs per month, each girl living alone 3 francs per month. A fine of 2 francs was also laid on all prostitutes who were behind their time in visiting the dispensary. The product of these various taxes amounted to from 75 to 90,000 francs per annum. The system was abolished on the ground of its immorality. A popular notion is said to have prevailed that the police received half a million or more from the tax on prostitution, and a tax on the administration in consequence or incessant. The police authorities gave way at last, and the municipal council in the city undertook to defray the cost of the dispensary for the future. Similar taxes appear to have existed at Lyon, Strasbourg, and other cities. Allusions have been made to inspectors. At the time, M. du Châtelet wrote that there were ten inspectors, who had each charge of one-tenth of the city. Their business was to see that the regulations governing prostitutes were carried out. They arrested offending women and transferred them to the prefecture of police. In case of resistance, they summoned the aid of the ordinary police of the ward. They were not allowed themselves to use violence, either to arrest or drag a girl to prison. They were usually picked men of good character. Their salary was 1,200 francs a year, besides handsome presents. In conclusion, a word must be said of the establishment called the Bon Pasteur. It is a Magdalene asylum established many years ago by some benevolent ladies, and now mainly supported by an annual vote from the city of Paris, and an allowance from the hospitals. It receives prostitutes who desire to reform, feeds, clothes, and instructs them, provides them with places when they desire to leave, or with work when they wish to remain in the establishment. The rule is that no prostitute can be received under 18 or over 25 years of age. Beyond these limits, it has been found that the humane efforts of the directress of the establishment have rarely led to any result. No compulsion is used in any case by the managers. Girls are free to leave, as they are free to come. So long as they remain, however, they must conform to the rules of the establishment, which are strict without being monastic. The average admissions to the asylum for the first twelve years of its existence were twenty per annum. The mortality rate among the residents was very large, being equal to twenty per cent on the total number during the twelve years. Of the whole number, 245, 40 were dismissed for insubordination, 27 left of their own accord and probably returned to their old courses, and 15 were returned to the police. The remainder were either restored to their families or placed in situations in the hospitals or elsewhere. Small as these numbers appear in comparison with the large army of prostitutes exercising their calling at Paris, it is not at all doubtful that the establishment is a useful one. No one can help but concur with M. Perrand du Châtelet when he observes that, to did not exist, it would be necessary to create it. Note, as M. Perrand du Châtelet has written the best, we might almost say the only philosophical work on prostitution extent, and might be useful to subjoin the test of the statute which he proposed to regulate the subject of prostitution. Law Relative to the Repression of Prostitution Article 1. The Duty of Repressing Prostitution whether the provocation on the public highway or otherwise, 
is entrusted at Paris to the prefecture of police, and in all other communes of France to the mayors, respectively. Article 2. A discretionary authority over all persons engaged in public prostitution is vested in these functionaries, within the scope of their powers. Article 3. Shall constitute evidence of public prostitution either first, direct provocation thereto on a public highway, second, public notoriety, or third, legal proof adduced after accusation and trial. Article 4. The Prefect of Police at Paris and the mayors and other communes shall make any and all regulations which they may deem suitable for the repression of prostitution, and such regulations shall bear upon all those who encourage prostitution as a trade, lodgers, innkeepers, and tavern-keepers, landlords, and tenants. Article 5. The dispensary at Paris for the superintendence of women of the town is placed on the same footing as the public health establishments. Other similar dispensaries may be established wherever they are needed. Article 6. A full report of the proceedings of these dispensaries shall be forwarded annually to the Minister of the Interior. M. du Châtelet conceived this short law to be adequate for the purpose. It may be presumed that he took for granted that the mayors of the communes would never attempt to carry out original views of their own on the subject. He doubtless gave them credit for sufficient self-abnegation to adopt, without question, the elaborate and sensible plan which experience has taught the authorities of Paris. How far this assumption was justifiable appears uncertain, in view of the fact that, as Lyons and Strasbourg, the prostitutional system has always differed from that of the capital. In both these cities, a tax has been levied on prostitutes till a very late period. At Lyons, it was exacted, it is believed, in 1842. End of section 12, chapter 10.